Amen. If you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, as you do so, uh, Sunday school teachers, if you've not stopped in to get your new Sunday school lesson in the office, please do so after the service. And then uh, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we invite you and encourage you to come out for soul winning. Uh, Brother Adam preached a phenomenal message Sunday morning. Uh, early in the morning, he sent me uh, the video that he showed of the guy that's famous for his magician's work. Uh, last name is Penn. I had heard, uh, I'd, I'd heard that particular about that video that he made. He's an atheist. He declared that in the video, but there was a statement that he made that I found extremely convicting. He said, "How much do you have to hate someone?" to say that you believe there's a hell, but you won't tell them how to be saved. How many were here and heard that? That resonated. Um, one day we're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to give an account. And God's not going to care about how successful we were at our business or anything like that. And, and those things are fine. Uh, but, but they're not going to follow us into eternity, but the people we win to Christ will. By the way, the people that we don't win to Christ, they also follow us into eternity because everybody goes into eternity, one place or the other. So I'm just uh, saying amen to Brother Adam's sermon. Encourage you to come out uh, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, are you in, in Ephesians chapter 6? Uh, we have detoured a bit from our study of the uh, book of Acts. Paul was in the city of Ephesus for uh, about three years or so, his longest ministry. And uh, he wrote a letter back to them. We call it the book of Ephesians. And in that book uh, is the very familiar passage that we call the armor of God. We have spent about eight weeks just on this one passage of scripture. I did not originally intend to do this. Uh, I intended to cover the armor of God in one Bible study and move on, uh, but the Lord would not allow me to do that. It would not do justice to a vital passage of Scripture. Uh, we have talked about having our loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, uh, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. Thus far, every piece of spiritual armor is of a defensive, protective nature. A, a Roman soldier generally did not whip off his helmet and start beating the enemy with it. That was to protect his head from the blows coming uh, that are directed his way. But in verse number 17, we find the one piece of offensive weaponry that God gives. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Not only is the sword of the spirit the only offensive weapon, it is the only piece of the armor in which there is a, a definition that is given so that there is no doubt in our minds exactly what God is referring to. He talks about the helmet of salvation, but we have to study throughout the rest of Scripture to piece together what he's referring to. But with the sword of the Spirit, we know that that is the Word of God. The sword was a weapon that every Roman soldier, regardless of his rank, carried with him. The highest-ranking general or centurion always had a sword. 
and it was on his person at all times. The sword was generally about two and a half feet long, uh, something that they could run with, take into battle. The Roman sword was unique in its day because it was a double-edged sword. Both sides uh, were, were honed to a razor-sharp edge. The hilt of the sword was oftentimes fitted uh, to, the, to the hand of the soldier who wielded it. For example, if Brother Rob and I were both Roman soldiers, um, his uh, sword would require a bigger grip than mine because I, he is a much bigger man than I am. Uh, the sword was a personalized weapon. It is one that they maintained meticulously. Some of you have been in the military. You have your weapons and you are to keep them uh, in tip-top working order uh, on a constant basis of cleaning. You have to know your weapon inside and out. The Roman soldier would spend hours and hours drilling with their sword. Uh, when they were not in battle, uh, they were practicing formations. They were doing sword play uh, and so forth. Uh, they, they would never take for granted that they had this down. They were always perfecting their craft. And as the Lord closes this section on the armor of God, we are told that we're supposed to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you will, we are to have the proper grip on God's Word. We are to be proficient in the use of the Word of God. Now, mind you, the armor of God and the sword of the Spirit in particular is not necessarily this is what we're going to go out and attack the liberals with. This is what we're going to go out and attack Hollywood with. This is what we're going to go out and attack the women on the moo with. Uh, that's not what it's talking about. It's so that you might withstand against the wiles of the devil in your personal life. That's, what it's, that's really the primary purpose of that. This idea of the word of God being compared to a sword is not exclusive to Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to look, if time permits tonight, and I can go fast enough, to scores of verses. A lot of them come from one chapter, so you won't have to turn back and forth a lot, but I hope you'll turn back and forth with me. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 is the first time that the Word of God is compared to a sword. Isaiah 49 and verse 1. This is actually not the prophet Isaiah speaking, but it is the Lord himself speaking through Isaiah. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft, in his quiver hath he hid me. Notice again verse 2. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. That is prophetically, that's a messianic promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at um, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Familiar verse but one we need to be acquainted with. In verse 12, for the word of God is quick. Somebody tell me what the word quick means. 
It means it is alive. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts in all directions, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What an amazing description of the power, if you will, the cutting power of the word of God. In Acts chapter 5, uh, we had already studied this months ago, when the apostles were standing before the Jewish Sanhedrin, and they were told that they were never to speak in the name of Jesus again, and they said, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Uh, we ought to obey God rather than men, and they proclaimed once again the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts 5.33, when they, that's the Sanhedrin, heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Again, Hebrews 4.12 says that it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. In Acts chapter 7, uh, we read this sermon that Stephen, one of the deacons, preached. It's one of the longest sermons uh, in the book of Acts. And when he was done with that sermon in Acts 7.54, the Bible says when they, the same group, the Sanhedrin, heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. This Bible has tremendous power. It pierces, it gets down on the inside of us. Turn to Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one. On the Isle of Patmos, John had a vision of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. We're not gonna take the time to read the entire passage, but he says in verse 12, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet burned like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a what? Sharp two-edged sword. Um, what comes forth from our mouths? Words. Um, remember, one of the titles for the Lord Jesus in John chapter 1 is, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Um, and so that word that came out of his mouth is compared to a sharp two-edged sword. Revelation 2, in verse 16, a message to the church at Pergamos, the Lord Jesus speaking says, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. Again, the word of God can be compared to that sword. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, whoever that was, God bless you. The Bible says in verse 11, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. 
And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called what? The word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a what church? A sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Savior coming back uh, at the battle of Armageddon uh, and so forth. And again, out of his mouth go with that sharp sword. So we see in the Word of God that it's a familiar theme to compare the Word of God to a sharp, two-edged sword. But we need to understand that there is more to us taking the sword of the Spirit than us just quoting a verse or waving a Bible. We know in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led of the Spirit out into the wilderness for what purpose? To be tempted of the devil. And the devil came to him with three specific temptations. And each time, what did the, de what did the Savior use to counter the temptation or attack of the devil? Scripture. He said, as it is written, or it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the Savior set the example for us of taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But we need to be mindful of something. Again, this is not uh, treating our Bible as some kind of a spiritual good luck charm. That if I'm just waving the Bible around, I'm safe like it's, you know, it's my piece of garlic around my neck and vampires can't get me. Or I'm going to say, get me behind me, Satan, and somehow it's like pouring water on the wicked witch of the West. Oh, I'm melting, and the devil, you know, goes running away crying from us. Uh, there's more involved in it than just you quoting some verse and the devil runs away from you. It has to do with our mentality and our attitude about the book that we hold in our hands. Not just the fact that you quote some verse and the devil says, oh, well, yeah, he's able to quote a verse. I guess I'm done. Um, there, there's more to it than that. Remember this. In Acts 19, while Paul was in Ephesus, he cast some demons out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of un those with unclean spirits. There were seven sons of a Jewish man. The man's name was Sceva. And they came in and they wanted to imitate Paul and they used this, this simple little phrase in the name of Jesus Christ, I command thee to come out. And the demon's response was, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but basically I have no clue who you are. And uh, the demon-possessed man leaped on those seven men beat the living daylights out of them, ripped their clothes off, and they went running out of that house screaming like a bunch of little girls. Um, you understand this? The devil, the, the devil inside that, that demon-possessed man was not at all worried about the fact that they could quote some little mantra. Um, I believe this. The devil is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. Uh, or anything like that, but the devil and his minions have been watching mankind for 6,000 years, and there's no doubt in my mind that they know who's for real and who's not. He watches us. He knows who loves God and who, who doesn't. 
He, he knows who has a real relationship with the Bible and who doesn't. He knows who prays and who doesn't. He knows who shares their faith and who doesn't. He knows who tithes and who doesn't. The devil watches us. He knows those things. And so if I'm living like the devil or if I'm living a double life, that type of thing, uh, I'm just playing games. The devil knows that. And, and I, can, I can act like one of the seven sons of Sceva. He's not at all worried about this. He's no, I'm no threat to him at all. I can send her, get thee behind me, Satan, and he's, he's just gonna laugh in my face. We have to have a relationship with our sword that goes beyond that. How, how many follow what I'm saying? Um, there, there's some things that I believe are, are very important, and this is where we're gonna start looking at scripture, and I want you to go back to the book of Psalms. Not everything will be contained there, but a lot will. Psalm chapter one. Number one, for me to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it implies that I have, a I have an attitude of companionship with the Bible. It's not just a textbook. I have a relationship with the Bible. In Psalm chapter one, in verse one, we find about the person who, who's going to be blessed of God. There are things he doesn't have. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You cannot run with the wrong crowd and be right with God. But verse 2 says, but his what? Delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Does that describe us? I, I love the Bible. I love learning the Bible. I love reading the Bible. I love hearing the Bible preached. I delight in it. Or are we tolerating it? When we hear certain portions of the Bible, do we roll our eyes, whether visibly or just inside, like, oh, you got to be kidding. Um, his delight is in the law of the Lord, Psalm 19. Psalm 19, gonna pick up the pace, not trying to do any uh, disservice to the word of God. It's just there's so many verses. Verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect. No other book on earth is perfect, but the Bible is. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. You can count on it, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, Look at this, rejoicing the heart. When was the last time you got excited reading your Bible? When was the last time you were alone with your Bible and reading it and God gave you something and, and it just kind of set you on fire on the inside? You said, man, that's really good. Man, I've, I've read that. I've never seen that before. Or boy, did I need that right now? And, and you're looking at your watch thing. Man, I've got to get up and go to work now. And I, I just want to stay here. It rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. We'll work till we're bone tired to get time and a half or double time, but we're hard pressed to read an extra chapter out of our Bible. Ouch. I said we, I didn't say you, I said we. That's where human nature is. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much 
fine gold, sweeter, are, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Um, this idea of me taking the sword of the Spirit, it, in, it, it implies that I have an attitude of companionship to this book. I'm not tolerating this book. I'm delighting in this book. I can't get enough of this book. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible and all but about seven verses are about the Word of God directly. Years ago, I became fascinated with this amazing book. Uh, look with me, verse 16. This is, I believe David wrote it. He says in verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. That's not in the stories. It's not in the promises. Statutes are thou shalt, thou shalt not. So I'm going to delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word, verse 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. They're the one that tells me what I ought to do, what I ought to say, who my friends ought to be, who my friends ought not to be. Thy testimonies do that. Verse 35, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I... Do you, do you love living for the Lord, or do you do it because you have to? Do you love coming to church? Do you love going to prayer meeting? Do you love sharing your faith? Do you love giving? Do you love helping? Do you love serving the Lord? David said, therein, in the path of thy commandments, do I delight. Uh, verse number 48. I told you I had a lot of verses. My hands also will I lift up, lift up unto thy commandments. There's a, an attitude of praise there which I have loved, thy commandments which I have loved. How many of you love rules? I didn't think so. I've seen you drive. Uh, human nature, we, we kind of chafe at the idea of rules. David said, not so. He said, I, I, I'm gonna lift up my hands in praise for thy commandments which I've loved and I will meditate in thy statutes, an attitude of companionship. Verse 54, thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I sing songs to my grandkids. I've had a little ditty that I've sung about Tommy since the day that he was born. And when I see him, he's nine years old. I, I love to sing it, and every now and then he'll get that little crooked smile that he has, and, and I just love it. I'm trying to figure out what Wesley's song is gonna be. Uh, we sing about generally the things that we love. Uh, and David said, uh, I'm singing your statutes. He said, they're what, they're what brings me joy. Verse 97, Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. How many have ever thought that that should say, oh, how I love thy law? Instead of, oh, how love I thy law. He put the love before himself. Not only that, I believe the phraseology there is supposed to arrest our attention because it's an unusual way of expressing it. And the idea is, oh, how love I thy law. By the way, we talk about the things that we love, don't we? We think about the things that we love. We lavish money and time on the things that we love. David said, I love thy law. Verse 103, verse 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
echoing his words in Psalm 19, verse number 10. Look at verse 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. When I read verse 111, I'm reminded of a verse I memorized in Bible college as about a 19-year-old. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Jeremiah said, at a low point in his life, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. David said, I love this book. So if I'm going to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it's implying that I have a similar companionship with God's word. I don't see this as restrictive. I don't see this as boring. I don't see this as old fashioned. I see this as wonderful. Do you? Do we? If we don't have that attitude, do you think the devil is unaware that we're just basically tolerating the Bible? We can't wait for church to be over so we go hang out with our friends rather than, can, can you just go a little further in, in, in that chapter for me? Um, we, we, we just reading our Bible and getting those three or four chapters in so we can check it off on our list and then get on to the rest of our day. Does the devil watch us? enjoying our favorite TV show or our video game, uh, giving our thumbs all the exercises in the world, and we can spend hours and hours doing that and minutes on this book. He knows whether we've got this attitude of companionship, but I need to hasten. Not only does it imply an attitude of um, uh, companionship, there's an attitude of conviction. Now, we know that the Bible convicts us. It cut them to the heart in Acts 5 and Acts chapter 7. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about conviction in the sense of I am fully persuaded that this book is true from cover to cover. I'm fully convinced that this is the very word of God, period all the way through. That's what I mean by conviction. You're in Psalm 119, verse number six. The Bible says, then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I have two words circled in my Bible in this verse. The first word is the word respect. It means to regard with pleasure or care. It means to give place to as the most important, to have respect. David said, I know this, I will live a life of which I'll have nothing to be ashamed of when I have learned to respect. And then he says, unto, what's the next word? All, I have that word circled, all thy commandments. I've said this a lot in our study of the armor of God. The Bible is not a buffet where we pick and choose. He said, all thy commandments. Um, if, if I'm gonna have the right, the right attitude to the word of God so that when I wield it, when the devil, the tempter is after me and it means something, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
First Peter 5 talks about the devil being a roaring lion. It goes on to say, whom resist steadfast in the faith. If the devil's gonna flee from me, there has to be a conviction in my heart that all of this book is important and it is never gonna be my mentality. I know the Bible says, but... That's an open door. I've given myself a loophole. And the moment I have that attitude, the devil knows that I am a pushover and he's going to win. How many follow that? Uh, continue on with me. Uh, verse 15. David said, I will meditate in thy precepts, and here it is again, and have respect unto thy ways. Verse 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Notice this, for I have believed thy commandments. I believed what you said. You said this is right, and I believe that. Well, you said this is wrong, and I believe it, but not just I've acknowledged it with my head. I've believed it to the point of that's what I'll do. Be hearers of the word, uh, or doers of the word, and not hearers only. Verse 80. Verse 80, let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I be not ashamed. We're talking about conviction, fully persuaded, convinced beyond any shadow of doubt in the truth and the importance of the word of God. Verse 86, all thy commandments are faithful. I like the word all. Again, they persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. Um, I've got to have this attitude of companionship. This is... This is my best friend right here, in other words. I've got to have this attitude of conviction that this book is true. This is God's word. This is, this is God's will for my life. No ifs, ands, or buts. Amen? There's a third thing that we need to realize about this sword of the spirit. It implies an attitude of comprehension. An attitude of comprehension. We're going to stay in Psalm 119 uh, for most of this part. I, I saw a video clip the other day, and I actually remember it from about 25 or 30 years ago uh, on the Oprah Winfrey show. They had a father and son there. The boy was maybe 11 years old. And uh, supposedly this boy was a preacher. And uh, they had the dad encouraging this kid get up there and he started preaching and calling everybody in the audience whoremongers and adulterers. He was quoting all these verses and stuff like that. And he was doing it with a lot of passion and gusto and, and all that. By the way, kids can preach. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. preached his first sermon at 11 years of age, pastored his first church at about the age of 13. Jonathan Edwards entered Yale University when he was 15 years of age. He was already preaching. He was already fluent, not only in English, but in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. He could read and write both of them. Today, the average student at Yale can't even write English terribly well. Um, so I'm, I'm not against the fact God can use young people, but the, the point of the illustration was the audience was just kind of sort of taken aback at this kid calling all of them whoremongers and adulterers and, and all kind of stuff like that. And um, a lady stood up to ask a question. And she said, I, I, I don't want to dismiss your sincerity, but I, I want to ask you a question. 
can you tell me what those verses that you quoted at us mean? And the dad started answering, I don't wanna hear what you said. He's the one that preached it. What did they mean? And the kid had the deer in the headlights look. He had no idea what he was quoting. By the way, what he's quoting was Bible, King James Bible, word for word perfect. He had no idea about it. You and I need to be able to do more than just quote reams of verses. We need to know what this Bible says. Turn your Bibles, Psalm 119, verse 18. This became my prayer again in Bible college almost every time I open my Bible. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The Bible's a, spiritually, a spiritual book and spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. I love watching my grandchildren grow up and, and figuring out uh, what they are and how they, how they think and so forth. Uh, Nathan, uh, Brother Rob's six-year-old, uh, smart as a whip little kid. He's got penmanship like I will never have in my entire life, and he's six years of age. Um, Nathan has, has, he's wired in such a way that if you tell him to do something or tell him not to do something, uh, and he doesn't understand why, uh, he, he can scare you. He's the gremlin that got the water poured on it. And I right, Rob? From the time he was a little, I'd a little, I'd hear it downstairs and think, oh my goodness, do I need to go down and pour oil on his head or something like that? Um, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's there. But Nathan's the kind of child, if you explain it to him and say, here's why, oh, okay. Hold, am I right? Whole different change in attitude because he understands it. God wants us to do more than just be robots going through the motion. He wants us to, uh, to understand this book, to know why, to know what it's all about. And David said, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. I won't just be going through motions where I don't know. It is coming from my heart. Um, I, I get weary of hearing all these people that grew up in independent Baptist churches. Well, they just had all these rules and they never explained why. Um, in every church I've been, they always explained why. Everyone. I've always, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, tried to explain, here's what the Bible says and here's why it's important. And, and give a biblical reason, a, a, a scriptural foundation for it. If they went through a church and set through Sunday school and junior churches and youth programs, and all they got was a bunch of rules but never knew why, I'll guarantee you 90% of the time, it's not the church's fault or the Sunday school teacher's fault. It's they just weren't paying attention. They just really didn't want to know. David said, give me that understanding. Uh, look, if you would, please, to verse 66 again. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Just, Lord, teach me good judgment. I, I don't want to make the wrong choices in anything, for I believe thy commandments. Verse 68, thou art good 
and doest good, teach me thy statutes. Turn and keep your place here because we're going to do a lot more. Uh, but go to Proverbs chapter 4. This is what I believe is the key verse of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get what? Understanding. So I can't have a shallow relationship and understanding of the word of God. I got to be doing more than that poor misguided young man that I saw on that TV program from decades ago. And I'm not faulting him. It's just somebody didn't, somebody thought the novelty of a kid up there screaming at adults was a good idea. Um, when the devil comes along, you better have more than a deer in the headlights understanding of this book because he knows whether you do or not. Not only an attitude of comprehension, it implies an attitude of conformity. Conformity. You say, what's that mean? It means I, I, I read and study and learn the word of God and it changes the way I talk, the way I live, the way I dress, the music I listen to, the people I hang out with, the things I used to do, don't do them anymore. Amen? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. The Savior taught in John 13, 17, if ye know these things, that's great, happy are ye if ye do them. Look at verse 59. Verse 59, David said, I thought on my ways, the way I was living, the direction I was going, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. So David said, I, I, I thought on my ways and then I realized that wasn't right. So I turned and I changed direction I'm conforming to the word of God. Verse 101. He said, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. The feet talks about your path, the way you're walking, where you're going, who you're going with. He said, I, 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 I got away from every evil path because of your word. Uh, verse 105, thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. There's an attitude of conformity that's a part of this. So companionship. This book is not a threat. It's not dull. I'm not tolerating. I'm loving it. I'm delighting in it. It's my friend. I rejoice in it. Um, conviction. This is the word of God. I believe it's true. I believe it's right. I believe it's the final authority in everything. That's conviction. Comprehension. I, I, I've, I've gotten understanding and I'm asking God to continue to teach me and open my eyes. I want to know what God says. I want to know as best as I can why he says it because I know that'll change the way I feel about obeying it. There's that idea of conformity that I'm not just reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, spouting it off. It's changing the way that I live. And finally, there's an attitude of commitment. There's an attitude of commitment. It's not hit or miss. It's not off and on, up and down, in and out, hot and cold. Psalm 119, verse 8. David said, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. I will keep thy statutes. Not if I like them. Not if everybody else is doing it. 
He said, I will keep thy statutes. Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. Notice this, I will not forget thy word. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. By the way, nobody can make you love God's word. Nobody can make you truly obey it. Um, just like students in school. We can make you obey the rules. Our school operates under law, not under grace. And we can see to it that you obey the rules or you can find another school. It's just as simple as that. Um, but we can't, we can't make you love the rules. We can't make you respect them. We can't make you honor them. You have to do that for yourself. Same thing is true of the Bible. Same thing. Uh, look, if you would, to uh, verse 31. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. I'm, I'm, I'm just stayed. I'm fastened on them. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, again, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it how long? Unto the end. We doing okay? Some are looking mad. Some are looking bored. Some are sound asleep. Um, and... Uh, Got a few more verses to go. Verse 38. Verse 38. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is what? Devoted to thy fear. Verse 57. Thou art my portion, O Lord. That, that little phrase means, God, you're all I want. God, you're all I need. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. Verse 93. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Verse 106. Verse 106. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments, an attitude of commitment. A person that has that kind of a relationship to the word of God as the devil comes after us, that temptation's coming our way, that trial is beating us down, and the wicked one is trying to discourage us or trying to distract us uh, from, from doing the will of God. And we, we open the word of God and we rely on that. We say, um, it, it is written, and, and we say, I'm basing my life on this word that, that God's given me here. And the devil knows we love this book and we believe this book and we're committed to this book and we're letting this book dictate how we live and how we don't live. Uh, and, and he sees that it's not up and down, in and out. We're not just spiritual when we're at camp or the week after or, or when we're at missions conference or the few days after. It, it's, it's a daily walk with us and he's watched that kind of like with Job. He knows, he knows um, you, you got a power. That's taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 2 Samuel 23, and I'm done. 2 Samuel 23. In this wonderful chapter, the scripture recounts what are known as David's mighty men. There were three, three of those men. He had Several hundred of them, only about 40 or so were listed uh, in the word of God, but there were three that rose to prominence. Uh, there was one man, uh, his name was Zedino the Esnite in verse number eight. The second one in verse nine, after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, 
when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away. So here's the guy, the Philistines have attacked, but everybody else is gone. Everybody else is gone. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. The people returned after him only to spoil. That man had such a grip on his sword that his hand and his sword were almost like one thing. It gives us the understanding that when the battle was over, the guy's arm might have been hanging at his side. He couldn't let go. He couldn't relax his grip. He'd been holding it for so long that everything was uh, paralyzed is not the correct word about it. You can sort of see them trying to pry his hands off that sword. He was tired. He was battling alone. But he said, I'm not giving up this sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. You and I are going to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's going to have to be our attitude towards this book right here cannot be hit or miss. It cannot just be a novelty to us. It cannot be, I believe the Bible, or I know the Bible says, but there's got to be something wholehearted about it. And that's when you resist the devil and the Bible promises he will flee from you. Do we have that kind of a grip on the sword of the spirit? Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for this book you've given to us.